Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and today we're talking about Apple's new self-service repair program coming out next year. A bunch of news bits, plus is Apple's software getting too buggy? This episode is brought to you by Headspace, Coinbase, Masterclass, and Simply Safe. You'll hear about our friends in a moment. And joining me today to cover all the news, my friend Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Pretty good, Stephen. I'm hopefully coming through loud and clear on this MacBook. Oh, oh, wait a minute. You're recording and doing the call on the MacBook. Is that happening? Yes. I got QuickTime oh, running. Man. I got Skype right here. Amazing. This is, and, and I was wondering, it sounded a little like I had more quality in my ears, and it's because your mic is actually coming through the Skype call. Right, right. Yeah. I, I got all these uh, floating windows. It's pure chaos. Uh, ready to go. <laughs> That's fun. Well, yeah, it's the first time uh, doing it on the Mac, so we'll see. Very cool. Well, I want to try and hit a bunch of things today. And so first of all, the big news this week was that Apple announced a self-service repair program that's going to be launching early next year, 2022. And Apple has stated that they will basically provide materials, everything from individual parts that they're going to sell to users, and also some instructions on how to repair iPhone 12 and 13 and Macs with M1 chips. And so this is all part of like the right to repair thing that's been going on kind of in government. There's been pressure about, you know, are these devices repairable? Can users try to service their devices themselves? And this is Apple's answer to it. And I think it's a good step. You know, iFixit and other companies have been around forever trying to offer users ways to buy parts and repair their own devices. But this is pretty wild. This is the first time that Apple is really going to be selling parts to its own devices. I just think it's crazy that next year you'll be able to go to a part of the Apple store and buy iPhone and Mac parts, not just the devices. So pretty cool. What do you think about this? I think this is going to be pretty limited in scope uh, right away. The initial parts offering is going to be displays, batteries, the things that we could always replace before, but never really had. Like first party available. First party tools. Uh, I remember when I was on deployment, we had a guy who just specialized in replacing iPhone screens and he, he carried like a hundred of them in his locker Yeah, and would just go, cause that was iPhone, you know, five days when it was a touch ID button and stuff. You could pretty much pop that thing off with, with your hands. It wasn't that hard. Right. But nowadays, man, I can't imagine trying to get a screen off at home uh, without shattering it in a million pieces. So good luck. So I fix it actually had a post where they said they're thrilled to see Apple admit what we've always known, quote, everyone's enough of a genius to fix an iPhone, end quote. Now, John Gruber posted that on Daring Fireball, basically saying that's kind of nonsense as a majority of people probably are not capable of doing it. And I would agree, like I even personally, who have worked on a lot of Macs, especially older Macs before M1 days, I would not try to work on my own iPhone. But I think this is actually going to enable people who want to have businesses repairing other people's devices, I think it's going to help them. Yeah, definitely. I've used iFixit a lot in the past and I've replaced iMac hard drives, replacing spinning hard drives with SSDs and like the iMac where you have to peel the screen off and then re-adhesive it. And I would buy the parts from iFixit and I've worked on some MacBooks. I just replaced a battery today, actually. I'll, I'll use that as the chapter art. If you're listening to the podcast, when you see the picture pop up in your podcast player, I replaced an old battery in a MacBook that was actually swelling, you know, because after a certain point, those batteries go bad. And so I think this is actually going to enable people to have better repair businesses almost and enthusiasts who want to repair their own devices, they'll be able to. And they're saying there'll be about 200 individual parts and tools available to buy directly from Apple. So yeah, pretty cool. Uh, upgradable RAM, replaceable batteries and a computer, stuff like that. Sure. Uh, you know, that's some screws. Right. At most, maybe you might have to solder. I mean, I was an electrician for the better part of 10 years. I've had played my hand in, in large electronics, but small ones too. I've, I've had to solder circuit boards before. It's fine. Like it, if you have a steady hand, you can do a lot of these things, but here's, here's the deal. <laughs> you don't want to. <laughs> right. We ran a poll on a uh, Twitter just asking like, Hey, are you guys excited to fix your stuff? And basically over half 55% said, yeah, we want to fix our own equipment. Now, if this is uh, coming from the Apple insider audience, uh, you'd have to assume that most of you guys are probably going to be very confident, if not skilled in this area, but yeah, a good 45% of people said, no, we're not going to do this just because we have access. Most of the U S if you, in some areas around the world, 
have generally easy access to repair facilities officially run by Apple through either Apple stores, Best Buy. And now with this program, like you said, even if it's called the self-repair program, just go open a store, right. buy Apple's self-repair parts, and then sell right. and then sell your repair service from there. That's going to happen. Oh, yeah. It'll be doable, but it's... You know, you're paying Bob down the street to do an out of out of warranty repair and Apple's not going to help you if he messes up. So it's all, right. you know, risk in this area. And I think after a few people cut their hands open, pulling a screen off to replace a battery, I think we're going to be hearing about this. Uh, and I wonder if there's going to be any lawsuits. Yeah, I mean, there'll always be something, of course. you know, with, it, with something new like this. But I do remember down here in Tampa, Florida, there was one guy who I think there used to be like authorized repair locations, but he used to work for Apple in the Genius Bar. And then he opened his own repair shop, basically. And the first time I wanted to swap out an iMac hard drive to an SSD, I brought it to him because I was like, I, I don't trust myself to take the screen off. And he did it in like 30 minutes. I watched him do it. And I was like, I think I could do that. And you know, that just that little bit of confidence. Now I will say I stop at the point of having to like heat up adhesive to remove parts and soldering. I'm not going to do that myself. You know, if it's screws, if it's, you know, taking on and off connectors, I feel confident there, but I don't want to be soldering anything in my devices. So yeah, soldering is such like difficult work too. Oh, yeah. you, it's so easy to burn the thing and then you have to start over it. And half the time, unless you have the experience and the skill to tell if the solder's even correctly put placed on, you might do it wrong, put it all back together and find out that you've uh, shorted something in the circuit board. It's, yeah. it's just, yeah, it's risky. One repair horror story I'll tell now. The first time I replaced an iMac SSD, it was in like a 21 and a half inch iMac. I took the screen off and, you know, peeling it off, they give you this little like pizza cutter. I got the iFixit toolkit and this little pizza cutter, you have to go around the display to separate the adhesive that's there now. And then you can kind of pull the display a little bit off. You get these like little playing card size things from iFixit to kind of separate it, like holding it separated. And then you eventually can open it enough to disconnect the display connection. There's two connectors in there. And then you can take the whole screen off. And then you can access the RAM or hard drive or whatever you need. And so the first time I did it, I thought I got everything right. I put the screen back on the computer. And when I started it up, there was a big green line down the middle. And I mean like two inches wide. So the whole center of the display, somehow either I bent it while I was trying to pull it off or I'm not sure how I did it, but I totally messed it up. And I had to buy another display on like eBay for 250 bucks. And I basically lost money on that repair, but it was quite a learning experience. So again, do it with caution and we'll see what kind of instructions Apple gives. I'm very curious how specific they get, but iFixit, of course, iFixit.com has incredible step-by-step -step guides for pretty much any model, you know, iPad, iPhone, or Mac. And you can see the difficulty level that they rate things. Well, I wonder, you know, if this is probably just going to be Apple going full Ikea on their instructions. You just open and it's a blank white page with a stick <laughs> figure. <laughs> just a picture of a phone says, good luck. <laughs> so I just want to point out um, Fudge, former leaker, now just commentary person on Twitter. Uh, they did put out some images of like a couple of pieces of equipment like that Apple repair facilities use. And I just thought this was interesting. Like there's an entire tool dedicated to heating the display for removal right. uh, that costs like $200. Um, and I, I, Apple yeah. vaguely mentioned that there's core repair parts and tools that you'll need to do this. And I wonder if Apple's going to send you certain tools or certain things that you have to return. You obviously have to return what you replace because that gives you kind of a, a rebate on your replacement. But mm. yeah, I, at the end of the day, the more I look into this, the more this seems to be a, ho a hobbyist thing. Like, of course, there's always going to be that guy out there that prides himself in replacing their phone screen, just like they pride themselves in replacing their own oil in the car. At the end of the day, for most people especially people who are not interested in technology or even listening to this podcast they're going to stay away from this million miles away oh yeah. yeah yeah so i i just wonder what the volume of this is like are we going to see apple launch this and is there going to be availability issues like are is a bunch of these third-party stores going to go out and buy all the displays up like i, I just wonder how ha apple's going to handle this if uh i you know just happen to think what if this is all hidden behind 
Apple support page where mm. you have to file a claim request a part and have it mailed to you with instructions. Right. That could be how Apple does this. Cause you said go to an Apple store and there's a bunch of screws on the wall. I, I don't <laughs> think that's going to be the case. No, it's not going to be like radio shack used to be where there were like drawers in the back of the store. And you say used to be, but I was in Knoxville, Tennessee a week ago and oh. there's a, there's a radio shack <laughs> in their mall. What? Right. Open. Open. Yeah. Fully operating. Insane. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. Wow. I used to work at Radio Shack. That was one of my first jobs. So we usually, we actually had old dudes come in and buy transistors from like the drawers in the back of the store. So wild days. All right. Well, let's hit some lightning round news because there's a bunch of small tidbits. One, there's actually a new Belkin three-in-one wireless charging station that was just announced right before we started recording. Belkin previously had a three-in-one that looked like a tree charger, and that's actually what I use on my nightstand, where it has a tree charger on the base for like your AirPods, and then MagSafe for the phone, and an Apple Watch charger. You can charge all three devices in one. But this one that was just announced, it's called the Boost Charge Pro three-in-one, and it basically, it does the same thing, except it's flat. So all three devices lay in a row. So it's going to be a larger footprint because it takes up more space on whatever nightstand or table. But it supports faster charging for the Apple Watch Series 7. And so the Series 7 has 33% faster charging when you use a proper charger with it, like a USB-C brick with the USB-C to Apple Watch charging cable. But this Belkin 3-in-1 will give you that fast charge for your Series 7. And this was an instant pre-order for me. And I don't know why. I know there was actually an update to watchOS 8.1.1, which came out right before we started recording as well. And it might address some of these charging issues, but I have found with my Apple Watch Series 7 that it is hitting that low power mode under 10% more often with the same charging routine I've ever had, which has been throw it on the charger when I get ready in the morning, throw it on the charger for like 45 minutes at night. And I've always been good, like over 30% at any given point during the day. And so I don't know if it's something in watchOS or something with the Series 7, but I don't get it to 100% as often as I used to in those two charging periods during the day. So I'm very interested in something that that charges the Apple Watch faster. And this Belkin 3-in-1 is one of the first all-in-one devices to do it. So I pre-ordered it. They say it's probably not coming till December or January, but I'll let you guys know how it is. Yeah, it's funny enough, the same day, Satechi uh, dropped a new charging system, a, a, <laughs> another three-in-one. And now, I, if you watch the little intro video, it shows that the Apple Watch charger is actually detachable. It's, it's pretty much a different version of their little Apple Watch puck that you can plug into the side of an iPad. And uh, it just attaches to the stand. And it's actually kind of interesting because, yes, it's only 2.5 watts. So it's the slow, normal Apple Watch charge, which is disappointing. But it does make me wonder if maybe in the future we could see more modular versions of these stands. I mean, this this one alone cost $120. Right. But what if Satechi sold this? with the ability to upgrade the puck in the future. Now, of course, it being the port, the port probably only outputs 2.5 watts. So this one in this case probably can't be upgraded to the better option, but just an interesting thought. And I and I just happen to think in comparing it to their uh, portable puck, I wonder if you can pull this thing out and use it as a portable Apple Watch charger. Uh, that would be interesting. Are you looking at the picture? Oh yeah, there's a picture of it pulled out. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Anyway, I just thought that was cool. But this is a, this this is that is cool. Going to be what I'm getting. So me and you are going to we're going to break up here. <laughs> you you're getting the uh, the Belkin flat Belkin. lay. I don't I don't like the flat ones because I want I like it taking advantage of MagSafe and displaying the phone. I do like that. Yeah, I might regret the flat thing because this Satechi one looks nice, but we'll see. Yeah, because I'm I'm like you. I have the Belkin three in one right now that I was using. Yeah, so we'll see. All right, next piece of news, Netflix actually announced a new top 10 weekly report. This is a public website, top10.netflix.com. And I thought this was interesting because they are posting the hours viewed for their top 10 pieces of content on the Netflix platform. And you can see just what everyone's watching. And so right now, if you went to that website as I'm viewing it, Red Notice, which is that new movie with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot, 148 million hours viewed this week. And it's number one right now. And they actually tell you how many weeks this piece of content has been in the top 10. I thought this was interesting for two reasons. One, just wild the amount of watch hours that these Netflix movies and shows are getting. Still nothing compared to YouTube, right? YouTube still has some insane billions a day, right? 
Well, which, but even like TikTok has supposedly surpassed YouTube as the amount of hours people are spending on it. So that hurts. <laughs> I know, but it's kind of wild. So I thought this was interesting. I doubt Apple would do something like this. And, you know, they don't typically do this with any of their products or services or whatever. But I would be very curious to see like hours viewed on Apple TV plus original content versus Netflix. Obviously, it would be much smaller, but it would still be curious to see. But more so, even if they didn't include hours viewed, I would be curious to see what are the top 10 Apple TV Plus original pieces of content being watched in a given week. You know, is Ted Lasso just sit there at number one? Is, you know, Tom Hanks movie Finch, does that break the top 10 in a given week? And I think it's kind of a cool thing to see, like a crowdsourced, what does everybody love watching on this platform? So I I think it's a cool idea. I would love to see the opposite of this. I want to see like <laughs> the bottom only, only Bob in Missouri <laughs> watch this one foreign documentary on Netflix in 2021. I, I just think about That's that hilarious. sometimes because there's so much content on all these services that there has to be some that just outright flop. And I oh sure. I, I just want to know what like what's the lowest number? Is it is it a hundred? views you know it, it just makes you wonder is is there content out there that's doing so badly that it just it shouldn't exist but anyway i i'm just always curious about silly stuff like that like on apple tv how many people have actually watched little voice because it got canceled so are we talking about right. thousands of people you know it's just kind of crazy to think that they can spend tens of thousands millions of dollars oh yeah on these shows and it, they go absolutely nowhere to the point that like it probably costs more in electricity to run the show uh in the server than right. it does you know well yeah. i know they have at least one because william watched little voice even though he refuses to watch ted lasso william oh he doesn't even listen to our show what are you talking about <laughs> he just listens to himself he skips every other part he skips me he skips you just he just listens to himself I was wondering if you um, have ever seen this Nestflix. I just <laughs> since we're on the con the conversation of Netflix, have you ever looked at this? No, I don't know what this is. Oh, it's amazing! It is a it is a Netflix like interface of all of these shows that exist within within shows. Oh my god! Like the Home Alone, uh, like the black and white <laughs> mob movie or whatever. Not even that. Like even better. Just like so, if people are watching TV in a in a or or the Simpsons, right? They have a card for Itchy and Scratchy. Right. Okay. Right. So like it's all of the shows that exist within shows. I just wanted to point this that point out this I know this is probably no, that's funny. total time suck. No, 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 but they, <laughs> they actually have what I just mentioned, the Home Alone one, Angels with Filthy Souls. It's that's right so there funny. on the homepage. That's great. <laughs> that is funny. We'll put that link in show notes too. That's pretty good. Yeah, guys, go go check it out. It's 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 definitely someone really took the time to make this. This is a a dedication right here. All right, next piece of news. Apple announced that it is going to have a hybrid model of employees returning to the office come February next year, 2022. This has gone on several times where Apple has said, you know, employees are going to come back to the office October 1st and all this. And they've continually delayed it. Again, COVID concerns. Also, employees kind of speaking out saying, we actually don't want to come back in the office. We want either hybrid models or work from home options. So to be curious, again, will it be delayed or is this going to be a follow through? In conjunction, you know, seeing the internal employee temperature of Apple, we actually talked on the HomeKit Insider episode that's coming out Monday that the head of Apple Home Services just left after two years of leading that department. And there's some moving around in different places of the organization. And then also Cher Scarlett, who was the organizer of the hashtag Apple II movement within the company Slack. She left the company and is actually taking a settlement. And so she will not be pursuing any more like legal action against Apple. She took the settlement and is just leaving the company. So again, just seeing the, the different work from home dynamics and what's going on in some of the different teams, we'll be curious to see what we can see, at least from the outside, come February. Yeah, the return to office thing, I mean, Apple did spend a bunch of money on that office building and they yeah. they operate out of some of the fanciest buildings across the world. It's it's something the company's going to want to get back to just because it, it does feel like from the outside looking in that this company thrives on an in-person experience. And it's not all rainbows and sunshine inside of Apple. Obviously, there's a lot of issues going on, especially with this newest departure. I just wonder what's going to come from all of this. I, I Like, yeah, sure. Yeah. We're going to be arguing over whether or not they go back to the office for the next decade because there's still stories if you guys go look for it getting posted every week or so uh, from different employees just talking about different terrible things that have happened and of course this is just the human part of 
any company, um, you're always going to run into management positions that are either in a position of power or they got their buddy club around them protecting them. So, you know, Apple isn't immune to these things. And uh, something I guess we're going to talk about here in a minute, if we get to John Prosser is sometimes um, fans do like to look at the nicer side of things and forget that there is a human side to this that isn't always pretty. I just wonder where this is all going to go because Apple's been very notably quiet specifically about these issues you know yeah speaking out again about china or supply chain or you know trade government any of that stuff apple will talk all day about but as soon as it comes to internal politics they have been completely uh mum about it so far this episode is brought to you by headspace imagine if you took just a few minutes to change your relationship with stress and anxiety And by change your relationship, I mean actually lessen those feelings of stress, anxiety, worry, and fear, transforming your life for the better. Well, that's where Headspace comes in. You see, our thoughts can be confusing enough, but meditation doesn't have to be. Headspace is your convenient dose of meditation, mindfulness, and sleep exercises to relieve stress and anxiety and help you get a good night's sleep all in one app, making it easy to catch your breath and make time for your mental health. And it's one of the most science-backed meditation apps in the world proving meditation works. A study proves in just two weeks, Headspace can reduce your stress by 14%. I'll be honest, I was skeptical about mindfulness meditation before I ever tried Headspace. But Headspace was my first exposure into this world, and I have to tell you, doing it just for a few minutes a day can make such a difference in your mental health state every day. I have the tendency to feel overwhelmed, especially when I have a lot of tasks and to-dos, especially heading into the holiday season. It's probably a busy time for many people. And Headspace can help you feel more at ease, relaxed, and reduce stress and anxiety. I've even done sessions with my kids. I love those times where we can focus on attention or mindfulness with them. And if you travel, I actually did their fear of flying course, and it really helped me be more at ease when I'm traveling. So find some Headspace at headspace.com slash appleinsider and get one month for free of their entire meditation library. This is the best Headspace offer available right now. So go to headspace.com slash appleinsider today. That's headspace.com slash appleinsider. Our thanks to Headspace for sponsoring this episode and Coinbase. So you've probably heard about cryptocurrency before, and maybe you've been interested, you want to get into this world, maybe even do some investing in cryptocurrency. Well, Coinbase believes that everyone everywhere should be able to get in the door. Whether you've been trading for years or just getting started, Coinbase can help. Coinbase offers a trusted and easy-to-use platform to buy, sell, and spend cryptocurrency. They support the most popular digital currencies on the market and make them accessible to everyone. They offer portfolio management and protection, learning resources, and a mobile app. I've actually been using Coinbase for a number of years now. And using the Coinbase app, you can buy Ethereum or Bitcoin or SHIB, whatever you'd like, and you can get involved in cryptocurrency investing. Millions of people in over 100 countries trust Coinbase with their digital assets. So whether you're looking to diversify, you're just getting started, or searching for a better way to access crypto markets, start today with Coinbase. For a limited time, new users can get $10 in free Bitcoin when you sign up today at coinbase.com slash Apple Insider. So sign up at coinbase.com slash Apple Insider for $10 in free Bitcoin. That's C-O-I-N-B-A-S-E dot com slash Apple Insider. This offers for a limited time only, so be sure to sign up today. That's coinbase.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Coinbase for sponsoring this episode. Speaking of internal teams, Bloomberg has now reported that Apple is going to be accelerating the development of their electric self-driving Apple car. This team, codenamed Titan, is the project. Project Titan is supposedly being led by Kevin Lynch, who previously was in the Apple Watch team. Bloomberg is saying that Apple was considering two different options, either a limited autonomous driving vehicle or fully self-driving. And Bloomberg is claiming that Apple has chosen to go with the fully self-driving option and that Apple might even be targeting 2025 as a launch year for this product, the Apple car, which would be three and a half years maybe into the future. So again, we, we hear rumblings about the Apple car every once in a while. The fact that Bloomberg is actually reporting this, I think is 
pretty interesting telling and the fact that Kevin Lynch who has been on stage at many keynotes and is you know pretty prominent in the company as a face and that he's leading this initiative I think it's interesting so we'll keep an eye on it I think we can all collectively ignore the fact that you use accelerate to describe the apple cart but thank you let's you know pump the brakes on this conversation oh uh, my goodness the show's over <laughs> going home hanging up the headphones um yeah yeah I, th- I feel like at this point we're at the we're at the point of uh throwing the darts at the dartboard and hitting dates to just announce different dates kind of thing. Um, Ming-Chi Kuo has been giving us a calendar timeline of anywhere between 2015 and 2030 on the Apple car. And it, it just gets scrunched down more and more as time goes on. So this is just another, eh, maybe 2025, but in two years, right. they'll say eh, maybe 2027. So right, exactly. I don't know. We'll see. Are you, are you going to be in the market for an Apple car if it's below a hundred thousand dollars? Oh, So as much as I love my technology, cars is an area where I have never bought a car that cost more than like $9,000. You live in Florida. It's pretty flat. You don't need a whole lot. It's it's pretty flat, but I also just, it's like cars are not something that like really are attractive to me. Like the only car I want is a fully electric automated car. And so I'm not going to buy an $80,000 Tesla right now. If I had the money, I probably would. And if I had the money when the Apple car comes out, I would definitely be interested in it. But it, it just seems so hard to justify that amount of money on a car. If it which, converted into a submarine and let you drive to Cuba, maybe. Well, that's a different story. I mean, if it's an Inspector Gadget style vehicle, I might consider it. Oh, Lord. I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited about it. Like, again, it's I'll believe it when I see it kind of thing. Like when it happens, when Apple is actually on stage and announces their Apple car, obviously we'll be super into it. But I'm not going to, you know. I want to at least drive one. Now, again, it depends on the price range. Like, because uh, the years we're talking about, I, I don't know if anyone like projects budgets this far, but I, I'm kind of like looking saying, hmm, I could probably, uh, you know, be in the market for a car around 2025. Like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if I could buy one. Like, again, it's like it's like you're saying that it'd be a heavy justification. Like, we're over here yeah. debating if we can pay $6,000 for a monitor. And now we're talking about $50,000 <laughs> for a vehicle. So, right. Just one one last thing on the car thing. Uh, what what would be your style of electric vehicle? Are we talking Tesla uh, Cybertruck or have have you seen the new renders for that? I, I the only thing I know to call it because I forgot completely which company it is, but it's the the Rivian, the car from Men in Black <laughs> that they keep. Uh, that the it, it looks like the oh. car from Men in Black that he calls. Oh, like the old school car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did I did see that car. I swear that's where they got it from. It does look like that. Being someone who doesn't care much about like the looks of cars i'm honestly like i don't i honestly don't care what it looks like on the outside i mean it sounds weird i mean i would care i mean if it looks like terrible terrible but all the electric cars are fine like i would drive any car if it was fully electric and fully automated that's like those two features and and thirdly carplay of course which i was actually with a friend the other day who had a rental car and the car had carplay and it was like the second time ever I've been able to experience CarPlay. It's and it's so just good. wonderful. It's, so, it's good. so good. Get you a secondary dash. Get one of those little Android tablets that does CarPlay on it. You'll love it. I've been I've been thinking about it, but I'm like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I really should. It's so good. It's so good. And Tesla and Rivian, the brand new company, they just went public. They're making the electric trucks and SUVs. They don't have CarPlay either. Neither Tesla or Rivian have CarPlay. And it's like, I don't. I understand. I mean, I guess I get why. Like, they just want to build their own software. But if it was between the three of them, and now the Apple Car is the only one with CarPlay, yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna go with the. Yeah. I mean, I'm putting my my toe in the sand now. If I'm gonna be in the market for any new vehicle, I it will have CarPlay, or I'm not getting it. Like, that's right. I know that's kind of dumb, maybe even petty, but sorry, guys. <laughs> not well. I will say, I, yes, I'm with you. The next car I buy is going to have CarPlay either built in or I will retrofit it immediately after. Like either with a built in dash thing that has CarPlay or one of the janky tablets that suction cup to the dash. Either way, I will get the next car with CarPlay. I, I've said it before. I'm still waiting on that company. One of you listeners out there, you guys are, you're inventive. Just take take this idea and run with it. I need a third party ignition system that adds car key to cars before like 2018. So I can go and throw that in a car, you know, car key and car play, man. That's all I want. Yeah, exactly. And supposedly the digital driver's license and state ID, Florida is supposedly launching that in November. They have said multiple times it's coming November. There's only like two weeks left. So when they do it, I'm going to try it and we'll see. You get one good thing in your state and you brag about it for months. (laughs) 
come. Well, I'm still waiting for it. We'll see if it actually comes. We'll see. All right. Also, Apple touted SharePlay this week, which is the feature that is actually out now publicly available with 15.1 that everyone can get. But there's still not a lot of apps that support it. Apple listed all the apps that do support it. Obviously, a lot of their own first party ones like Fitness Plus, TV Plus, Apple Music. Then they listed the other ones. Notably, not a part of this list are like Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, HBO Max, none of those. But they do have NBA, Paramount Plus, Showtime, and these two, which I thought were very interesting. Apparently, TikTok and Twitch, you can use SharePlay, which is the feature where you can FaceTime someone on your device, talking to someone face-to-face, and then also watch something in sync. And when I saw TikTok on the list, I was very curious. I mean, those videos go by very fast, depending on how you scroll and how that would sync over FaceTime. I guess I have to try it. I need to try this with someone and see how it works. But I thought that was very interesting. There's games and stuff uh, that that support it. I haven't really interacted with, but um, the concept's interesting to me. Oh, for sure. One company that's going to implement um, SharePlay in the near future, they're at least investigating it right now, they've told me, is uh, Backbone, the company that I that mm. controller I reviewed for the uh, iPhone. Yes, yes. They just released a big feature update. You can go find it. We'll put it in the show notes. They just did a big feature update where there's like a subscription service, but old owners get, you know, grandfathered in. It's not expensive. Don't complain about it. One of the things that they did is a bunch of social interaction stuff where you can uh, go through this app to stream directly to Twitch, whatever iPhone game you're playing using the built-in screen recording system. And they're taking advantage of the um, focus modes so that you you connect a controller and and it turns on game mode Uh to automatically get rid of notifications from your streaming. Anyway, uh, they're talking about wouldn't it be cool if we're doing all of this streaming through Twitch and at, you know, we can do all of this at once yeah. and do share play and play games with people mm-hmm. in that picture in picture mode, be able to see the people you're playing with or have your face show up on Twitch and stuff like that. So just a lot of little interaction paradigms going on there. That's, that's definitely yeah. what I like to see from these app developers. Uh, yeah. Just take advantage of everything, put it all in your app. I don't, sure. I don't know why developers don't do that more often. All right, so Apple Arcade, it's part of the Apple One Services bundle, or you can pay for it $5 a month, and it's all of Apple's original titles. Apparently, coming soon is going to be a new game to Apple Arcade called Disney Melee Mania, and this appears to be somewhat of like a Super Smash Brothers alternative. And it Nope, I'll, I'll go ahead and stop you there. It is not. <laughs> it is not what? It is not a Super Smash Brothers alternative. So there's a little like... There's a tweet in our article that shows like a clip of it. And what I was going to say is it does not look like Smash Brothers, meaning, you know, Smash Brothers is like a side by side fighter. And this seems to be like a top down arena type thing. And so it's definitely not exactly like it, but it has Disney characters seemingly fighting. Yeah, it's a a battle arena, which is very odd. Battle arena. Yeah, it's a battle arena. It's interesting because Disney typically does not allow its characters like to like fight each other at least like a lot of their like intellectual property and but they have like elsa and buzz lightyear and these other disney characters bing bong from inside out and they're all seemingly like attacking each other in this arena battle yeah so it is not it's not like smash brothers like yeah that so if you like smash brothers like i love it on the switch it's not gonna be like that but i think it's interesting that this is a game that's coming out on apple arcade it's comparable if i had to pick a game uh that 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 pokemon uh battle game that came out a couple months ago pokemon unite this is kind of that's what it kind of reminds me of i don't think it has the same like goalkeeping system i think it's just a pure battle thing but think of it that way it's it's just a battle arena with disney characters it's a little odd um like you said hmm. to see disney characters fighting anything other than, than something right. like you know kingdom hearts right but i do want to point out that the smash brothers like thing has been happening very frequently lately mm-hmm. uh, you you saw the nickelodeon brawl game come out right my kids found a game called brawl holla Oh, that's that's a very popular game. Yeah, but like when I saw them playing it, I was like, "This is like a weird Smash Brothers." Yeah, clone. Bro- <laughs> yeah, that one's definitely like one of the first big kind of clone things. Yeah, uh, yeah, but then like everyone's doing it now. I don't know why. There's also a ton of like Fortnite clones because, oh, of course, yeah. Now that Fortnite's not in the App Store, there are just so many. Like my kids, they'll request through Screen Time like to download the different apps, and I will look at the preview, and I'm like, "This is literally Fortnite." without Fortnite. <laughs> yeah, the reason why I wanted to to just dig in this ever so slightly is cuz I I thought it was funny. It was very funny that right before we recorded the show, guess what was announced by PlayStation? Oh. Something called Multiverses, which is a oh, my word. Warner Brothers Smash Brothers 
alternative where Superman <laughs> and Shaggy from Scooby-Doo can fight each other on the same stage. Oh, my word. It, yeah, I, I don't care for that. It's getting more and more <laughs> it's rid- crazy. Absolutely ridiculous. No, thank you. But anyway, this Disney one is supposedly going to be coming out, I think, in December, so later this year. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I don't want to touch on this. I thought this was interesting. The Kyle Rittenhouse court case, which as we record, there might be a verdict actually reached. uh, So we don't know exactly what the outcome of the court case is. But from a technology standpoint, there were a couple interesting moments in this court case. One, one of the lawyers did not understand how pinch to zoom works with photos and video. And one of the lawyers claimed that when you pinch into Zoom, the iPad uses machine learning to adjust the video in a way that you can't trust what you're seeing or whatever. It's like, first of all, the fact that the lawyer can say these things that are just simply not true and just doesn't understand technology and they can just like say all this, that's pretty wild. But two, there was a motion for a mistrial because some of the drone footage that was captured of the event was on an iPhone. And it was then sent to a detective via airdrop, which if you airdrop a video from your iPhone to another Apple device, it's going to airdrop the full quality video. And so that detective had the full quality video and it was sent to the prosecutor, I believe, also via airdrop. And so they had a high quality version of the video. But the defense attorney, Natalie Wisco, had an Android device. And so they could not airdrop the video file to her and they had to email it. And if you try to email a video file from your phone, it compresses the video, lessening the quality, trying to make it a smaller file size. So email clients will actually accept and allow you to download the file. Yeah, the problem is they didn't know that. (laughs) They did not know that. So the defense attorney assumed that the video they were seeing on their Android device was of the same quality as the prosecutor's. And once the video was shown, I believe the, the prosecution actually showed their version of the video, defense was surprised and it was like, ours doesn't look anywhere near that good. What's going on? And first of all, I just think it's wild that we are airdropping video evidence in a court case. Like, I mean, I guess that's how you would do it. You would airdrop it to somebody or you would send it somewhere. So I find that interesting. But also that this, again, like technology still in the judicial system, not just in this case, but even like you look at the US government as antitrust trials and they're interviewing these tech CEOs like Zuckerberg and Tim Cook last year. There just seems to not be an understanding of technology when it counts, it seems like. I, I mean, I said it on Twitter. I, I don't care who you are, but if, especially if you're a lawyer in a very important court case, you can't just say something no. that you don't know if it's true or not. Exactly. It's believing it to be true. It's just, that's insanity to me. It is interesting that like this whole mess up uh, occurred here. Like, I, I just wonder what this would look like dramatized. Like uh, I did finally watch Defending Jacob and just imagine oh, yeah. in that case, like if there was something to do with email, I, I don't know. It just, it just sounds like a bad Apple commercial. Like, right. oh no, no, use Dropbox instead and send them a link. It's just guys, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I agree with you though. And I, I just believe that we really need to ramp up education. I don't know who's in charge of that. Uh, is it right. is it school? But I don't know. It's just it just kind of scares me a little bit that prosecutors can you know and the judge that themselves making the decision can go into these cases and have technology involved and know that going in and still have no understanding, no guidance, and no one on the floor who's able to offer information about this. It just, it's baffling to me that uh, this person's case, you know, and again, not getting into the politics, but their life is going to get decided um, based on the results of this. And some dude's understanding of how airdrop works is going to be a deciding factor on whether or not this case gets dropped. Like that's insane to me. Well, that's, I think, especially in the judicial system where laws are being made that govern the entire country or laws that will affect someone's entire life. There needs to be a deep understanding of the technology behind the evidence or behind the case. And thankfully, I think in the Epic Games versus Apple trial, Judge Gonzalez Rogers, who ruled in that, actually did have a working knowledge of everything that was going on and could kind of ascertain like what each company's motives were and then judge accordingly. They had a technology degree, I believe, of some kind. Right. And I think, again, like obviously certain cases wouldn't require a judge to have a deep technological knowledge. But if there is evidence involving video on a phone or other device, then someone needs to be involved in the process who is savvy and can say, okay, you can't email that 
video to this person because that's going to drop in quality. So let's upload it to Dropbox or let's upload it to a cloud service and it's full quality and then you can download it. Just like that simple amount of wherewithal about how to deal with this evidence. I mean, it's critical. I've watched a lot of uh, Judge Judy in my day, so I know that there's such a thing as expert witnesses, you know, that you can't just, again, you can't just make up stuff on the spot. That really just rubbed me the wrong way. That's wild that that can occur and be totally fine. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty wild. All right, well, last thing before we get to kind of Apple's software and John Prosser's video about Apple now sucks at software. (laughs) I just want to mention, I had a tweet the other day where I was asking everybody what's in their dock on their iPhone which are the bottom four or however many apps you decide to put in the dock, how many apps are down there. And unexpectedly, it kind of blew up. There's been like hundreds of replies now. Quinn Nelson from Snazzy Labs replied with his dock, so pretty cool. But a couple of interesting things after seeing literally hundreds of people's iPhone docks, one, a large percentage of people keep almost the default dock, just which is the phone, Safari, messages, and Apple Music. There's a lot of people that just keep the default one, which is cool. If that works, like good for you. So there's a lot of default ones. I also saw a lot of people using alternative web browsers, both Brave, Microsoft Edge, and even a couple Firefox users, which on the iPhone, you know, the argument to be made is there's not really any different web browser engines on the iPhone. Everything just uses WebKit, which is the same technology behind Safari. So everything's basically just Safari rewrapped differently, but you do have different features. A couple of people said they use Brave because it has a built-in ad blocker and you don't need to use like an extension for ad blocking. So I thought it was curious how many alternative browsers I saw. There's also a lot of Spotify users out there. I was very interested to see. I would think there's, I would say there's actually more Spotify users with Spotify in the dock than Apple Music. And these are all iPhone docks. So I thought that was curious. And also, you know, in America, we might not think this, but WhatsApp, the communication app is very prevalent. There were a lot of people that have WhatsApp right there in the dock for quick access. And around the world, WhatsApp is extremely pervasive. You know, everybody uses WhatsApp. Also, some people with like thousands of unread emails and hundreds of unread texts, which just gave me stress. I was like, I can't believe this. People love showing those off. Like, oh, look, I have 999,000 unread emails. Can't do it. Mm -mm. Can't do it. This, This person, let's see. This was Joseph in the thread. He has 506 in the red badge on the phone app. It's insane. Which I don't even know how you get there on the phone app. I mean, that's voicemails, missed calls, and I don't even know. And there are some people with custom icons. That was interesting. A couple of people who jailbreak their iPhone actually posted their docs, and that was interesting to see, you know, what you can do with the iPhone after it's jailbroken. I don't, I jailbroke my phone like back in iPhone four days, but I won't be doing that again. What is it? What did you put in over here? Is this red? Is this your dock right here? That's my dock currently. Oh my goodness. So Wes put his dock here in the shared note. I will put my dock and Wes's dock as the chapter art for this this chapter of the podcast. But you have black icons with like neon red line, like outlines. That's a good look. It looks cool. Well, this was uh, kind of part of my, I guess, October thing. I just haven't updated it. I think I'm going to change it here soon. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm one of those people who likes to have a very customized home screen. So I do custom icons, uh, different pages for every focus mode, stuff like that. So I go in a lot of detail there myself. Um, but yeah. yeah, I definitely, I don't really believe in having notifications on the home screen. I have them in my app library so I can swipe over right. and see if there's any apps trying to get my attention. But on the home screen itself, especially since most of these are Siri shortcut icons, yeah, no notifications or anything like that. Thank goodness. And yeah, that Twitter button actually opens Twitterific. So uh, funny okay. enough. Yeah, that's funny. And three icons instead of four. I see. I just, there's nothing else I could think of to put there. I mean, so a lot of people did three just because they wanted to. They just like the look of it. So yeah. I mean, like the music app, you can get to it a million different ways. Uh, I, I just right. couldn't think of anything that needed to occupy that space, I guess. I was actually surprised. I saw a number of people actually put full on folders. One person actually had four folders as their dock icons. And I was like, Ooh. that's pure insanity yeah <laughs> teach them about app library please i some I of my family it. some of my family still hasn't figured out widgets and app library and i look at their phone screen and they have they're running ios 15 so i make them update their phones and they're still like running just a grid of app icons and i'm like guys it's 2021 <laughs> figure it out <laughs> yeah this uh, this one guy too jt jones if you're listening he sent a picture of his doc that has the domino's pizza app 
FlightAware, Apple Books, and then the Tips app. Like the the default yellow light bulb, like Tips app. This has to be a troll. He's got to be trolling me because I that well, cannot basic be Apple guy definitely trolled you a little bit there. He, <laughs> basic Apple guy, you sent me all Microsoft app doc, and I was like, no, this can't be real. And then he sent me his real one later. So this is probably why I blew up because the basic Apple guy trolled me. Right. Thank you, thank you, Mister Guy, for trolling me. This episode is brought to you by Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn how to cook from Gordon Ramsay, scientific thinking with Neil deGrasse Tyson, or even learn from astronaut Chris Hadfield. And you can learn about the art of negotiation from lead FBI hostage negotiator Chris Voss. With over 100 classes from a range of world-class instructors, the thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. Now, I've told you before that I love the class with Hans Zimmer, where he teaches about music composition for film. And I have to tell you, after I've seen Dune, where Hans Zimmer composed the soundtrack for that movie, I'm probably going to go watch it again because it's amazing to see Hans Zimmer work and create these incredible soundscapes and melodies. He talks about their connections with characters and themes. It's just awesome. And I love Masterclass because you can do it on your iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, or just on the web. And lessons are just about 10 to 15 minutes long, so you can do one on a lunch break or binge a whole class if you just love it. Many classes even have downloadable resources, so if you do a cooking class, you can actually get a high-quality PDF that's basically like a high-end cookbook. It's really nice. And this holiday season, you can actually give one annual membership and get one for free. So go to masterclass.com slash appleinsider today, and you can give one and get one for free. That's masterclass.com slash appleinsider. Terms apply. Our thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring this episode and Simply Safe. If you ever wanted to make your home feel safer, there's no better time than now. This week, our friends at Simply Safe are giving Apple Insider listeners early access to all their Black Friday deals. That's 50% off their award winning home security. That's 5 0, half off. And we love Simply Safe because it has everything you need to make your home safe indoor and outdoor cameras, comprehensive sensors all monitored around the clock by trained professionals who send help the instant you need it. Now, you know, we talk about smart home stuff all the time at Apple Insider and having cameras indoor and outdoor, they have a great new outdoor camera that's weatherproof, plus the contact sensors and professional monitoring. I know having those things give me peace of mind. And I've done contracts with other security companies before, and it can be a headache to get out of those. Not great, but there's no contracts, no commitments with Simply Safe. You can pay for monitoring month to month. Simply Safe was even named Best Home Security System of 2021 by U.S. News and World Report. You can customize an entire system for your home online in minutes, and you get free custom recommendations from Simply Safe. This is Simply Safe's biggest discounts of the year, where you get a complete home security system starting at just over $100. So take advantage of Simply Safe's early Black Friday deals and get 50% off your new home security system by visiting simplysafe.com/appleinsider. Again, that's simply safe, S I M P L I S A F E, simplysafe.com slash Apple Insider for 50% off your entire system. Our thanks to Simply Safe for sponsoring this episode. All right, well, I got to talk about John Prosser's video. So if you don't know John Prosser, he's a leaker we've talked about many times on this podcast. He leaked things like AirPods Max and AirTag, also. He claimed the Apple Watch Series 7 was going to be the flat edges. Turned out not to be so, but pretty prolific leaker. His YouTube channel is called Front Page Tech. And one of his latest videos is called... Apple sucks now and it's your fault. All cap letters. Yeah, Apple sucks now and it's your fault. That's his video title. And so it was about a 15 minute video. So I watched the whole thing. And John Prosser's thesis basically is that Apple is still incredible at hardware but has taken its eye off the software ball. And he listed several examples of bugs that he's been experiencing both on his iPhone and his Apple Watch. And just saying like even opening the camera app and it freezing so he actually can't take the picture, though he can't capture the moment he's trying to capture with the camera. And so that the all the bugginess has increased in recent years. And we all as Apple users just kind of deal with it. And that's why he's saying it's, you know, quote unquote, our fault and basically calling on Apple to step up the software game and address these bugs and all that. 
as I was watching it, you know, he uses some clips from Steve Jobs and how Steve Jobs claims, you know, software is the deal. You know, you can make good hardware, but if you really want to win people and make a product that delights and people enjoy using, you have to have good software. And of course, I agree. You have to have good software. I mean, that's what you look at on that screen. However beautiful and how many hertz and the refresh rate that screen is on your iPhone, it's the software on the screen that you interact with every day or on your watch or on your Mac. So I think it's undeniable that Apple has made excellent hardware recently. iPhone 13, the new MacBook Pro, iPad mini and iPad Pro. You know, hardware is amazing. Apple Silicon. As I was thinking about buggy software on Apple devices, I will concede to Prosser and whoever shares this viewpoint, I have noticed an increased bugginess on iPhone, especially not necessarily me personally, but as I help other people with their devices, my wife's iPhone 13, I got her on launch day and she's experienced several bugs like freezing and weird things with the keyboard. And so I have noticed it. And so I am not claiming it's not true. And he has video footage of like his Apple watch freezing in like the nightstand mode and he can't get it out of it and he has to reset the watch sometimes or not can't even turn it off. He has to like reset or unpair the whole thing. So I, I you know, I see those bugs. But I would also say that there are many, many aspects of Apple's software and services that remain excellent and rock solid. A few examples, iMessage as a whole. When we went to iMessage in the cloud, and if you have that enabled on all your devices, it used to be weird where messages would come in out of order and all that. But once we went to iMessage in the cloud, iMessage has been rock solid for me. And I think for many, many other people, I don't hear people complaining about iMessage not working. iCloud Photos and iCloud Backup, which is a key part of iPhone and just Apple ecosystem experience, I think is super solid. Even the guys at ATP, you know, they are you know, some of the most qualified to critique Apple software as they are all developers. And they even stand by iCloud Photo Library and how give it enough time and it'll figure it out and you won't lose data and it is rock solid. Overall, macOS stability. I record multiple podcasts every week using macOS and I have never lost podcast content recording on my Mac. It has never crashed or frozen. Once I hit that record button, I have absolute trust. Like it does not mess up. And that has gone back all the way since I started using a Mac. I actually had the G4 12-inch PowerBook when I was in college, and I was in charge of recording the orchestra concerts for my university. And I would literally open up GarageBand. I had a USB audio device with two condenser mics to record the orchestra. I would hit record on my computer that was sitting in the front row of the auditorium and literally get on stage and play an entire concert, never being able to look at the computer, not being able to monitor what it's doing. And I was able to absolutely trust that it recorded everything. And honestly, I recorded probably 15 concerts a year for multiple years when, as, when I was in college. Never once did I lose any data. And I think that it is just as stable today. Other features, just want to mention screen time. If you don't have child iCloud accounts that you're dealing with, you might not have as much experience with screen time, but I have multiple children with their own child iCloud accounts and the whole screen time system is pretty incredible. From the ask to buy if they want to download an app to requesting more time in a specific app and me being able to approve on my Apple Watch and they can have 15 more minutes or an hour in a piece of software or an app. It's just pretty incredible. And so screen time as a whole shortcuts in general, which is something they are still innovating on. Yes, it's buggy on the Mac and there's been some changes with Swift UI, but a software product as a whole, you won't find an alternative anywhere else. Shortcuts is just excellent. And security and privacy overall, just across the entire ecosystem, Apple makes a concerted effort, whether it's private relay, hide my email, or just privacy built into the devices. I inherently trust Apple there. And things like HomeKit and other things, yes, there are small bugs here and there, but I will say with the progress of features that Apple has provided over the last several years, I think there are many, many aspects of their software that are rock solid. Now that's not to say there are not bugs. And maybe we could use a year where there are minimal features added and it's really a bug fix focus like the old Snow Leopard days. But I don't think Apple software sucks. <laughs> I don't know if that's an accurate description of the current landscape of Apple software. So those are my thoughts, Wes. What do you think? Well, I don't 
disagree with the fact that like, yeah, bugs exist. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the software isn't buggy or there isn't issues or he's not specifically experiencing these things. Uh, and of course he, he did the thing. This is YouTube. So my assumption is, is usually that whatever his attitude is in the video, take about 10 points off of that. And that's probably his position in real life. Right. You always got to be a little bit heavy, heavy handed when it comes to YouTube and getting people invested in watching, but his constant need to say, you know, don't argue this because I have an answer for it. It's just like, come on, you know, let, let me argue with you. I'll, I'll do it all day. It's fun. Yeah, exactly. uh, it's, just some of the things he said to just come off as a little disingenuous, especially playing the Steve Jobs videos, because it just made me laugh a little bit that like right when he was playing the video about software is the experience and um, good. The difference between good and great is uh, tenfold between two different companies or two different products or whatever. Yeah. And then like a couple years later, we have antenna gate because uh, your thumb could block an antenna line on an iPhone. Yeah. I think the problem is, is we just tend to put our blinders on and look at what's happening right now and how these little inconsistencies and these bugs and these issues are very noticeable and very in our face and we're very aware of it. But I'm telling you, tell me right now, what was, what was the bug that everyone was mad at six months ago? What was the bug that everyone was mad at two years ago? You probably can barely remember. We can get to the big ones. Like you mentioned, the iMessage stuff, right. but I'm telling you every month, every update, there are five or six things that everyone on the internet can point out and say, Hmm, this uh, special character breaks your phone for an hour or <laughs> stuff like that happens all the time. And it hasn't, that, that hasn't changed over the years. And it's just, it's baffling to me that this, it's not just Prosser. It's just people on the internet in general can make the argument all the time. Like, Oh, their software sucks now. Oh, it's, it used to be better in the old days. And it's like, guys, like software just sucks. I don't think it's Apple's fault. It's in general, uh, we're building an ecosystem on an ecosystem that was developed in the 1980s to basically turn on a computer and make sand think it's it's not like we're <laughs> constantly playing like with the sciences here hoping that everything just lands out in the end and yeah there, there is a science to it like there you're putting it in lines of code and hoping everything works but that one thing breaks and you fix it and guess what 10 other things break and that is the case no matter where you are even at apple so it, this isn't an excuse i'm not uh, like you know prosser said don't make an excuse for apple it's not it's just this is the world we're in and i think it's just funny for him to take that stance which is a very popular stance that oh apple software sucks now it's my belief is is it's the same it's ever been and because their software and their hardware is so good, we're going to notice the things that break much more prominently than, say, on an Android yeah. phone that is, you know, frozen for the third time today. It's just right. going to be that much more in your face. Again, are we going to remember the bugs that we're dealing with today in six months? Because maybe there's worse bugs or different bugs. It's just it's a constantly uh, changing battlefield. And us tech people, we're going to sit here and complain. Slack uh, uses 110% of your CPU for some reason. At the end of the day, it's just part of the experience of using a Mac. Or part of the experience yeah. of, of, of using software. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. And I would say, you know, to play devil's advocate with myself and you, there might be an argument to say Apple, because it's trying to chase after services revenue, it's doing Apple TV Plus, it's doing a car. You could say that its attention is divided, you know, and it might not be focusing so much on iOS software that, you know, they could have eliminated more bugs than they have. Well, I don't know how I feel about that argument, if only because that, that comes back to my joke about, all right, Tim and software, you got to stop working on iOS 16. Uh, we need you to come over here and write the script for the Mariah Carey Christmas special. Right. It's, it's not what's happening. You know, yeah, Apple's getting bigger and bigger on their focus, but they're also getting bigger in people. Now, yes, in general, the focus of the company as a whole is growing, and that means certain executives are going to be spread more thin. And that's something that needs to change on top. And I think we've seen a little bit of that with some reshuffling, but I don't think that what we're seeing in these glitches and stuff is a result of Apple having an Apple Arcade. I think it's just maybe it's a little bit more of the fact that we're running what five different operating systems across yeah dozens of different computers for sure and billions of people are using them so if one guy uh in in florida gets the camera not able to turn on uh when he initially turns it on and posts about it on twitter five more people are going to raise their hand and say they had that problem but 10 users out of a billion 
isn't really a, a critical bug that we're thinking about, you know? So again, not to discredit, like, yeah, those, these things are annoying. And like your watch face not changing properly is an annoying thing. And I guarantee you someone app at Apple is probably aware of each and every one of these bugs, but can you really justify complaining that and saying that Apple isn't doing everything they can? Cause one of the things he said in the video is Apple doesn't care anymore. And it's just, I don't mm. think that's the case. No, I, I don't think it's the case either. You know, there might be a question of, in retrospect, would we have taken less features added to each platform in favor of the amount of bugs? And I will say my personal feeling on that, I would take whatever bugs I may experience now. Now, again, everyone's mileage may vary. Maybe John Prosser is experiencing more bugs than I am. I will say, I mean, I use my devices. You know, that's the other argument is if, you know, if you don't use it a lot, you won't see as many bugs. I use my devices all the time. And so if there were bugs, I would I'm sure they would certainly experience them. But if you experience more bugs than average or me, like that would be very frustrating. So I'd, you know, totally validate that. But the amount of features that have been added over the last several years, I don't know if I would trade some of those for a couple more bug fixes. You know, I was actually helping someone set up a new iMac recently. And once I had it all set up, they had more questions. It was their first time actually using a Mac. And I was able to, from home, from the messages app on my Mac, request to share screen from a person in a totally different town. And I was able to control their iMac from my Mac just using the built-in messages. No third-party apps, no utilities. And to quote Steve Jobs, it just worked. And I stayed connected. And we were talking via an audio FaceTime call built into the screen share. And I was able to walk them through everything they needed. And like they could work with their mouse and then I could take over. And it was just a seamless experience. And like, would I have preferred that feature not exist to fix a bug that might be experienced a few times a year or even a few times a month? Probably not. Like that feature is critical. And, you know, you could parse every little feature and like, well, I would have traded that for this bug fix or this for that. And honestly, Apple's probably doing that internally. They're probably saying, what features can we reasonably add while still improving the quality and seamlessness of our operating systems. That's probably why universal control was delayed. You know, it's not like Apple puts features out totally without trying to bug fix. Like, yes, there are beta ones, like private relay is in beta. And they say you make has bad experiences on some websites because this isn't a beta program. But I think when something is really broken or it's just really not ready, they will not put it out. SharePlay didn't come out with iOS 15 initially. Universal control is not out yet. And so I think they are trying to gauge what features to do at what time that is at an appropriate workable level. And part of good software is the ability to fix it. How quickly does Apple respond to actual issues that break the experience? It's usually within a couple of days there's an update or if there's a backend switch they can flip to turn something off to make sure something doesn't break, they do it on the spot. Like Apple is one of the fastest companies I've seen respond to, you know, massive software issues. They don't come very often thankfully, but I just I just want to point one one more thing out in the video is just again back to the comparison saying, you know, don't compare Apple to its competitors, compare Apple to itself. Well, even comparing Apple to itself, its software and stuff has improved over the years just because there's so much more of it. I think it's just generally speaking a decade ago, uh, if all of the software could fit in a storage shed outside, it now fits in an airplane hanger. There's just more and more of it and it right. all interacts so well. Like it's grown and remained aware of each other the entire time without losing any user data. Like the fact that Apple was able right. to to flip the switch on a the underlying file system to APFS without right. a single Seamless. person saying that they lost anything to that switch is insanity. Right. And that's because their software is so good. And then you you get to that Steve Jobs quote again of saying, you know, looking at comparing product A to product B, if a, a good product and a, a great product, the difference is, you know, tenfold or whatever, I would still say easily. Apple is tenfold above the competition in most ways, especially in software, even with the issues. So the argument that don't don't look at Apple's competitors, I say, no, look at them because you look over at Microsoft and what they're doing and you still every now and then walk into an airport and see the blue screen of death on one of their uh, <laughs> advertisement terminals. Like it, it's, it's just right. funny to me that we're so afraid of maybe praising the company or supporting them because yeah, it's a company they don't give they don't care about you. I agree with that. Like they don't know you exist. They just want your money. I get it. But at the same time, don't be so afraid of that uh, being put in that camp 
just as you know make a negative ar- argument and I, and I don't know i mean yeah they don't know me personally but i do think steve jobs he wanted to create products hardware and software where other people can use them to create things that they want to make. That's why it was amazing that iMovie and GarageBand would just come with your Mac. You didn't even have to buy that software. You could argue that it was built on the cost of the computer or whatever, but they gave you creative tools right off the bat. And so I do think there is still a part of the company that cares to enable users, its users of Apple devices, to be creative with the tools that they provide. And I would argue If you want to grade the periods of time of when Apple was the most buggy, you know, I definitely do not think this is it. When MobileMe launched, (laughs) which was the predecessor to iCloud, if you all remember that, I was a .Mac user before MobileMe and then used MobileMe from day one. It was not good. And that was like data loss issues. Like you would lose contacts. They would just disappear. It would not sync properly. You would lose calendar events. Like it was not a good experience. And famously, Steve Jobs was ticked about it. You know, he was like, why is mobile me garbage? You know, and he would press on the company to fix it. And if you compare those days of mobile me to iCloud today, I mean, my goodness, what a difference. And that's why a lot of what I was mentioning in my list of positive software experiences, iCloud is actually extremely positive now. I have no qualm hitting erase all content and settings on any of my iPhone or iPad devices and worrying about losing data. I am supremely confident that if I wipe an iPad device, maybe it's because I'm running a beta and I want to get back on the release or whatever. Like I know if I have a backup in iCloud, I'm good. Like I trust that I had not, again, mileage may vary. Someone might've had a bad experience where a backup didn't reload or whatever, but I personally have done it a lot and have never lost any data from an iCloud restore. It may even down to like audio files in the Ferrite app that I've used in podcasts. Like it's all just there when I restore from an iCloud backup. So again, comparing to older versions of Apple's cloud services and other software, I think we're actually in a pretty incredible place. And so again, I don't think Apple software sucks. I think sure there's lots of bugs and they need to be addressed, but Apple software is actually in a great place right now. There's nothing broken. No, I don't know. I would I would be confident in agreeing. Like it is not broken. There are bugs for sure. And I think that's the difference between something being buggy and something being broken. You know, MobileMe, when it first launched, was broken. You know, syncing collaboration documents and pages and keynote used to be a really bad experience. It was broken, but we use collaborative notes every week on this podcast. That's what I, Wes and William use. So yeah, totally I I agree. Not broken. All right, well, listeners, let me know what you thought. It's Apple software or anything else we talked about today. Tweet at Wes and myself. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you there. Also put a link to that tweet thread about Doc. Show us your Doc. What apps do you have down there on your iPhone? Also, if you haven't yet, I would greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. That really helps out the show. And if you'd like to support the show with $5 a month, you can actually get an ad-free version and early access. You can do that either on patreon.com slash appleinsider or directly in Apple Podcasts, $5 a month, uninterrupted version of the show. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time.